Welcome to our How to Wow Summer Run 2023 and a series of wondrous conversations recorded live at Carfest last year. Carfest is a not-for-profit well-being, music, food, superstar and motorcar festival that has so far raised circa £25 million for UK children's charities. Check out what's happening this year by going to carfest.org carfest.org that is where you'll see our best ever lineup of guest hosts and rock and rollers yet many of them staying with us the whole weekend including the likes of Richard Hammond Rob Brydon Jimmy Carr Lee Mack Bryony Gordon Eddie Izzard Rick Astley Craig David Russell and Laura Brand Texas McFly the actual village people Alex Horn Angela Hartnett Matt Tebbett Michael Keynes Atul Kutcher Freya Ridings Ben Miller Dr Rungan Chatterjee Dr Reapy The Happy Pair Melanie Sykes the feelings, Sophie Ellis Baxter, Razorlight, Gokwan Reef, the Bootleg Beatles, and only Peter Flipping Andre, plus all the amazing car content, of course. Go to carfest.org now and come join us this August bank holiday weekend. All right, from that very event, let's cue a conversation, a fascinating conversation. James Haskell in conversation with Sophia Franklin. It's called Rock Me, discussing James's book, Rock Me, a rollercoaster journey. James's hilarious stories that, as the book develops, are as contradictory as they are entertaining. It's lovely to be here at Carfest North and to have you all here at the author stage with Costa. It's a pleasure to open it with an amazing gentleman sat to my left. He doesn't come along quietly. And being an international rugby star wasn't quite enough for this guy. He decided to go on and be a podcaster, a DJ, and of course, a writer among many things. It is, of course, James Haskell. Thank you. This is mental, isn't it? Talking to a mic that won't work. <laughs> They've really pushed out the budget here, haven't they? But they did, what do they describe me as a bubbly, what is it? Fun, quick-witted presenter. Yeah. They've got me a fun, quick-witted presenter. So, you know, things are looking up for the day. James, it's so nice to chat to you here. And this is your second book. Congratulations, Ruck Me. Normally buy you dinner first, but... Uh... I have to say, you've not made it easy for a presenter like me. What a flanker and Ruck Me are not the easiest titles to get right. You're Radio 4, I know it was Woman's Hour or something, because that would be odd for me to be on there. But wherever it wasn't Radio 4, they, would, they wouldn't say it. They wouldn't say the name. Out of fear or...? Well, yeah. And, well, I just said to him, he goes, well, you'll have to say the name of your, the titles of your book. And I was like, why? He goes, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the audience can take it. I went, well, no, it's just to play on words. It's not a thing. Is that where we're at in 2022? You can't even say, what a flanker. They're like, no. You've, now you've said it now. You can say it once. I went, what? What a flanker. Stop saying it. All right, ruck me. <laughs> ruck me. They're like, no, you can't do that. Not allowed to say it on radio. So it is a play on words. But I've actually just written another one. I handed it in last night. A third book? Well, do you know what? This is going to sound very self-aggrandizing, but this is on a podcast, it's on the record, but this is actually my sixth book. A sixth book? Yeah, this is my sixth book. Yeah, it's my fifth book. I wrote a few, I wrote a, a fitness book, cookbook, a rugby guide. Yeah. What a flanker, ruck me. And now this one's called, oh, I can sort of reveal the title. It's called Approach Without Caution. Oh, that's not quite as fun. That's what I mean. We ran out of it. <laughs> I wanted to scrum on my face, but... Um, is it too late for a reprint? No, because that would be good, wouldn't it? Do you know what the best bit about it is, right? Is every time we do any of these shows, I do the good, bad rugby, or we do anything about the book. I always see people who brought kids, right? And you see the parents halfway through go, oh. <laughs> oh, and one woman went, well, I spoke to people and they said it was, it was for PG. I was like, yeah, they lied, <laughs> they lied. But the best thing is, is your kid will get an education in the next hour that it would have taken them 20 years to learn. It just means on the way home, they're going to get a lot of questions. 
But again, not my problem. So I got to see you there at the front, young lady. Good luck, Kay. I promise. I w Do you know what? The one thing, because it's a podcast, I've been told absolutely I won't swear. So that is the one thing you'll get. The rest of it, can't promise. Well, let's get into it, shall we, and see what happens. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, why did you decide to write a second book? The money? No. Do you know what? It's really interesting. I kind of, um, I've always enjoyed writing. Um, I was always quite creative. When I wrote the first couple of books about fitness and health, I really enjoyed it. But one of the things I kind of learned in life is that if you're not passionate about something, if you're not like mad about it, you're never going to have that real kind of longevity and success. And both the both the books or the three books I've written before were good. They served a purpose. They were fun. They were bestsellers in their own category. But I didn't really have the passion to do anything more with it. And then I got an opportunity to write What a Flanker. And I, honestly, it became a top 10 Sunday Times bestseller. It kind of blew the autobiography market away because it wasn't like anything else out there. You know, a lot of people now are so terrified about getting sued. They can't really feel like they've got to say anything. A lot of books become kind of glorified training guides. And honestly, if you look at the rugby world, there's so many better players and bigger legends than me. Martin Johnson, Johnny Wilkinson, you know, all these, Lawrence Daly, all these kind of players, they're going to tell you what it was like to play against New Zealand five minutes down or in a World Cup final overtime. <laughs> what am I going to tell you? What it was like to go on the smash? What's it like going on a stag do boat and then a bloke accusing you of all sorts and demanding from the club eight million pounds worth of compensation? Let's learn about that, shall we? Let's learn about what it's like when you get a call up for England and your mother has to read, let's get ready for the sex nations. <laughs> oh, imagine that, proudest day of your life. Proudest day of your life, right? And they're like, God, James is going to get selected. I wonder what they've written in the papers, right? Get rid of the sex nations. Sex tries and videotapes. That's another one. But my favourite was England call up for Haskell with Peeping Tom past. A Peeping Tom. That was the guy that back in the day used to run over a line and pull knickers off lines. That's what they said I was. So I, I thought this kind of insight. And also, when you're a player, you have to toe the party line so much. You never get to say what it was actually like. So 2011, you know, we were described as the worst touring side in English sporting history. But obviously that wasn't the, the whole story. So I got a chance to tell that. 2015, you know, we were the only team never to make it out the pool stages of our own World Cup. And then six months later, win a Grand Slam and go on a tour to Australia. The mechanics of why that worked. What's the difference between good coaches and bad coaches? And all the kind of stories and, and funniness that went on and why I, I spent every day laughing my entire career. You know, and, you know, a bit of crying, but mainly laughing. Um, and I wanted to share that journey. What a flank got, you know, where, where it was so, so popular that everybody loved it. I mean, and the interesting thing was a lot of teammates, when I found out I was writing a book, I'd never realised I had so many friends in the rugby world. Because they'd be like, Hass, mate, how are you? Yeah, good, 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 mate. I haven't heard from you for a while. Yeah, just a question. Uh, you haven't put me in a book, have you? There's no stories about me? I was like, no, because I'd already written it. But then I was like, oh, crap. And I'd write, written it down. And then I realised I'd left out like 30 or 40 stories from the first book. So when it became a roaring success, my publisher came and said, would you want to write another one? I was like, yeah. Have you got anything to put into it? I was like, yeah, pulled out a scroll. I was like, I absolutely have. And um, it was just another opportunity to tell a story, but I, did, I wanted to do it a bit differently this time because it's one thing saying, you know, you're a mate, you know, th this is how I view things, but you want different people's perspectives. I love that bit of the book where you've got all these quotes and so many quotes, and it's not just a couple of sentences here and there. You've got them from 
Eddie Jones just dropped that name in there. Your wife, Chloe, your mum, Susie, teammates, people from school, your rugby coach. You have so many of these people pitching in. What was that like? One, asking them, and two, reading them for the first time. Because they are, they don't hold back. No. Let me tell you. But that's what I kind of wanted as well. Like, you know, there's no point. I mean, again, this is a sli slightly morbid, and I apologise, but you'll, you'll get my thinking. If you ever see someone's, like, passed away, especially on the news, right, or when you go to a funeral, everyone always goes, God, he's, we sorely missed. He was such a lovely person. No one ever goes, oh, he's a bit of a muppet. And, um, I mean, what I discovered about it was, first, my mum's insane. Like, proper insane. Like, you know, the fantasy she has about the person she thinks I am versus the reality of it. I mean, the amount of stuff I had to delete from the book, it just was nonsensical rubbish. I mean, do you want to read a question? Yeah. She loves it. She said, says Susie Haskell, one January morning when James was seven, one of his teachers was looking out of his window and noticed him standing in the snow, wearing a short sleeve shirt and shorts. The teacher shouted, James, what are you doing out there in the snow? James replied, hush. What are you listening to, the teacher said. The silence, says James. <laughs> That's just one example of how sensitive James was as a child. Never happened. <laughs> like, never happened. I swear, she reckons I stood there in shorts in the snow. James, what are you doing? Listen to the sound of silence. Shut up. Honestly, I, 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 I literally said, I was like, Mum, have you been smoking crack? <laughs> She tries to make out uh, 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 that I was so sensitive and kind. I was like, my childhood, I had no self-awareness, right? My childhood was like, I viewed everything as if I was just passing it by, like coming in to getting some squash. I'd be like, on a bike, I'd come in, I'd see a bit of it, of news or something, and then I'd go and play army. I'd come back. There was no relevance. I had nothing. There was no kind of, didn't notice anything happening. Couldn't have told you what was going on in the world. That was my entire life. All I was just trying to play army or ride mountain bikes or, or you know, I mean, my mum, she did some interview stuff the other day. She went, yes, well, he did like making petrol bombs. I was like, mum, we've gone from one extreme to the other now. Like, why? Just talk a bit to say it was okay. So um, it was good doing that. I mean, Eddie Jones, brilliant. I mean, he compared me to a second-hand car salesman. That's a really good quote. <laughs> yeah, that was a great quote. Again, my mate Dozer, who's appeared in quite a few of the, the, the stories, um, he was, he, I mean, he was great. Obviously, I loved sort of recounting how we met because we didn't get on, first of all. We're like, we're thick as thieves now. We've been best friends for years. But him and I just didn't get on because you won't know this because you're not a big man, luckily. But there's, there's, if you have a big man, another big man, there's like a big man off. Like, it's like an unwritten rule. Like you walk in the room, you see another big man, you're like, you just sort of look, you don't say anything, you sort of check yourself out, you're like, am I bigger than that guy? Right? And then like, you'll, you'll start on one side of the room and he'll start on the other, and by the end of it, you could be like firm friends, or you're like, I think that guy wants, do you want to, do you want to fight me? He looked like one of them Biffa bins, but with a, with a face. <laughs> and, he, and obviously we, you know, went to a posh, sort of posh public school and you're, you're playing for the first team was kind of a really um, big moment. And he came in on the lower six, we're like, Phew. Who's this pretender? But obviously I was a lot posher then as well. I was like, oh my God, chaps. Who the bloody hell's this coming in, right? And he was a bit sort of, uh, he was from, you know, High Wickham. He was a bit, he, well, he likes to think he was from the wrong side of the track, but I'm not sure High Wickham's the wrong side of the track. Um, <laughs> and he sort of, you know, I remember he, he kind of running around the field and he looked like um, he looked like a tugboat or he had the same sort of speed. When he was trying to run, it was like, he never got past that. You know, if he was sprinting, it would be, and I, and I might have said, oh, look, it looks look, like a porcelain with a face. And like getting into him, everyone got very upset. And we, the only reason we bonded was at kind of those um, public schools, you have that hierarchy. We have the older senior guys. And I'll never forget that. I was walking up the stairs to our house and this uh, older kid went, went, Oi, Haskell, carry my books and go upstairs and make some toast. And I was like, I would have worn that like early days, but obviously I was <laughs> way bigger than this guy. 
So I just, you know, I obviously told him absolutely not. Is that really what you said? I didn't say it quite as politely as that, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Um, no, no, I said, I said, and I got really upset. I got perturbed. Um, you know, posh people, they don't swear. They, you know, I got ruddy well up, you know, blooming upset in a minute. Um, I got, you know, honestly, I was nearly flipping, you know, upset about the whole thing. And uh, <laughs> I remember, and my dozer was with me. I spoke him down and, and, I, and, I, and I said, oh, listen, mate, you know, <laughs> jog on. And he tried to swing at me, right? So obviously there was that moment where like, I looked at Doz, Doz looked at me and we were like, well, we were bonded by the fact we're both in the same rugby team, bonded by the fact that this bloke thought he was going to give it to one of the, the junior boys. So he swung. We ended, up, <laughs> we ended up filling him in. And honestly, it was a bit of an unfair, it was a bit of an unfair fight because he sort of swung at Doz first. And Doz was a bigger gentleman then, as I said. So Doz has sort of overhanded him. As he's falling down the stairs, I've picked up his Transformer pencil case lobbed it down and as it swung through the air and just smacked him in the face we were firm friends we went off for a, for a beer and we were bonded that was the moment it took to bond us but that is one of the ridiculous but hilarious stories in this book it is full of them i don't quite know how you've filled your life with so many ridiculous stories but they're great but my favorite i have two favorites the one is the french car yeah but the second is the bb gun yeah. story because that any child, I think, who grew up in the 90s or the noughties or the 80s knows that BB yeah. guns were kind of the weapon of choice. They were. I mean, I, I don't know, well, obviously, all the audience, you probably feel the same way. Like, I'm 37 years old, but I, I, I genuinely feel like I'm 21. I mean, if I tried to run, I feel like I'm 65, but I'm, I mean, I try to be mature. I'm about to be a dad, which we'll, we'll probably come on to. I mean, actually, my wife's so upset I'm here and I'm having fun that she's just going to give birth during this thing to spite me. I can tell it. I can tell it now. You know when you call her up, she goes, so? You're actually going up to Carfest, are you? I can't believe it. And then she's already going, I'm getting cramps. It's like, are you? Are you? Or are you being melodramatic? Um, uh, oh, yeah. Oi, that went down well. Hey. He was on the phone for a long time earlier. Giving it all large while I'm up here. She came in about, what? No, no, I didn't, I didn't say that. I love you. No, I love you. No, I'd never laugh at your expense. No, but the BB gun thing, right? So I feel like I'm 21 and I'm obviously a giant kid. And when, when you're sort of younger, you don't have... Um, I didn't have pocket money as a kid. I'm not saying I was like Oliver Twist, but my parents worked very, very hard to, to send me to all these, to these schools. They're still working out to pay it off. It wasn't, you know, I didn't have the kind of cash you would expect to be associated with those schools. But So when I started earning an income and all the things I wanted to get when I was younger, I didn't get a chance. I'd just go and get it. So the first stop was to a BB gun shop, obviously, right? Uh, once I put like a head unit in my Vauxhall Astra and put like... You know, my nan's Vox Flash as well, kitted it out. She, she was still alive. I mean, she wasn't, she wasn't in the car at the time. That would have been mad. But um, I had this Vauxhall Astra with like this head unit with like, I put UV lights under it. It was like a Vauxhall Astra with cloth seats. I mean, if that car could talk, it'd just be screaming. But the next stop was going by BB guns. And I, and I remember I went round to my, my friend's house. He's this really well-to-do guy. He was living in Richmond at the time, three-story house, or, you know, kind of terrorist house, but really nice. And um, I walked into his room and he had this professional BB gun with like a sight on it. And a silence. I mean, it didn't work because it was a BB gun, but, you know, accessories count for the full aesthetic. And he had this on, and he had some uh, radios with, you know, the cables and the earpieces. And I was like, oh, this is, I was 25 at the time, right? I was, <laughs> I was playing for England, but we'd had a day off. So I went around there, and I was like, oh, brilliant. So we put the headsets on, and we had the, 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 the pieces that went up the sleeve. So you're like, yeah, this is security. I've checked the error. All clear, right? And we're like pissing around the house like that. And I had the BB gun. Someone just go, because oh, they're pissing around. If that's your level, oh my God. <laughs> okay, it's, yeah, do not read the book. Don't watch anything I've ever done, ever, unless it's live TV. If you, if you think pissing about's bad. 
Um, she needs, someone needs to get a lie down. Can we get an ambulance, please, for row three? Don't read the book if that's <laughs> That or she's just Googled me naked. No, either one. It could be either one. Similar sort of effect. Um, so anyway, we've got this BB gun out, and I'm, uh, and I'm like, playing around with it. And uh, I look out, and two doors down, there's a gardener, like, raking up leaves with his bottom hanging out. As is like, if you're a working man, you've got to have a minimum of a bit of bottom hanging out. It's like it's the law, isn't it? I don't know why. It's like part of the trade union. If you've got a butt crack hanging out, you, are you even a builder? So I said to my friend, okay, well, let's just shoot him. Let's see if I can hit him from here, right? See if I can hit him from here. So obviously, because I wasn't an amateur, I set up with the rifle not hanging out the window. That's your first mistake if you do that. I set back, right, on the bed, little tripod he had, again, accessories key. Set it up, and he went up to two floors above, right? So I was there, and I was like, Shh, this is uh, <laughs> Nighthawk, permission to take the shot. And he'd be like, this is <laughs> this is uh, this is Black Leader. I'm on the roof. Spotted the target. Okay, just taking a pause to tell you about AG1, also supporting this particular podcast. AG1, I'm asked all the time about the one thing I do to take care of my health. If I could pick only just one product, it would be foundational nutrition. And AG1 is a top foundational nutrition product. I can't think of any other daily routine that pays off as well as AG1, according to people that I really look up to who really know their stuff. AG1 is recommended by such luminaries as Rich Roll, the amazing professor, Dr. Andrew Schieberman, Tim Ferriss, and our one, our only Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. AG1 was created in 2010 and has helped millions of mornings begin on a healthier foundation ever since. My wife takes it, I take it, even our 14-year-old son Noah takes it now. He swears by it. AG1 is not only a high-quality all-in-one solution for daily foundational nutrition, it also saves you time, confusion and money compared to individual supplements that can add up to a small fortune. AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic and much more in one simple drinkable habit ag1 is great bang for my book as it replaces a lot of these other supplements like a daily multivitamin minerals pre and probiotics for my gut health adaptogens and a greens blend literally all in one scoop of powder i think there's 75 different supplements in each scoop science-driven formulation of vitamins probiotics and whole food source nutrients ag1 is raising the standard for quality in the supplement category just one daily serving gives me the comprehensive foundational nutrition i need Go to drinkag1.com slash how to wow. That's drinkag1.com slash how to wow. Give it a go. Check it out. Let us know how it lands. And now back to the wow. Black leader. I'm on the roof. Spotted the target. You're green to take lethal action. I was like, <laughs> 25 playing for England, right? <laughs> so anyway, two doors down. It was a cold day as well. Shot this BB gun curled in to the ass, right? At the top of the crack, two doors down, in a wind, in a cold day, right? Fell off the bed, laughing my ass off, right? Laughing like, ha, ha, ha. And you think that would be enough. You're like, oh, we probably should rein it in there. No, right? Got up, and once I dried the tears, I was like, should we shoot him again? <laughs> this is Nighthawk, it's a black leader. Do I have permission to take a shot again? This is Black Leaders, Nighthawk over. You're greenlit for lethal force again. I was like, yeah. Right. And then, I'm just not my proudest moment. But he had a bald head. And I thought, why not? <laughs> I've gone for the arse, why not? Why not get the head? So I have aimed this, and I've factored in the wind, and I've 
shot the speed gun, curled in to the back of his head. Right, we're falling off the bed, going like, honestly hysterical like children. This is the funniest thing we have ever done. And finally, I've got up and I've got, should we shoot him again? I've got a black leader, Night Hawk, can I have permission? He's like, warning, do not shoot, target is gone, target is gone. And I was like, what? I looked out the window, he disappeared. I was like, oh, he's had enough. Jot me, he's had enough of that. Anyway, don't worry about it. Thought nothing more of it. We're sitting in the room laughing, going, well, that was fun. And then suddenly I heard this, and the doorbell went. And I was like, no. And then I, I forgot that his mother was in the house. And it's, I could hear her go down and hear this, Sam, James, come upstairs. And I was like, you literally reduced to like a teenager. Like I didn't know where, to, what, what to do. Like I didn't know what, what you do. I was like trapped in his house. I'm a 25 year old man. This woman, I'm like, I looked out the window. The gardener's come round to the house. He's figured it out. It's two doors down. I didn't even have the gun out the window. I can't escape. What do I do? I can't knock his mum out and just run out the door. And, and I went, we're not going. We're not going. And by the time I turned around, Sam, would we start going down? I was like, no, Sam, don't do that. He'd gone. I was there in the room going, I can, I can climb out the window. I could probably climb out the window. It's only 50 foot. So I had to go downstairs. And I, at 25 years old, I was reduced to what it was like as a 10-year-old teenager. Standing there, like, kicking my foot, like... Oh. And she's like, did you shoot this man? Right, and Sam was like... <laughs> James did. <laughs> I was like... Are you serious? It's your mum. It's your house. So I then turned to the, I then turned to the guy and your mother went, well, will you apologise? And I walked up to him and the first thing he said is, you're James Haskell, aren't you? It's like, yeah. I'm thinking I could maybe get away with it, but my friend has said, James, he goes, I'm coming to watch you play for England this weekend. It's like, yeah. It's like, uh, didn't look him in the eye. I was like, sorry about shooting you. Um... Apologise, I won't do it again. <laughs> and then we shut the door. And I was like, well, this is it, I can't. I mean, I'm going to read about it to the Daily Mail, aren't I? This bloke knows exactly who I am, exactly what I've done. I'm playing for England. I've shot him in the arse and the head with a BB gun. There is no way I'm going to get away with it. So I then couldn't stay in the house with his mother because like, this is the most awfully embarrassing thing that's ever happened. So what I did, I thought I'd smooth it over because I'm good with the, with the parents. So I nipped into Richmond, bought her a big bouquet of flowers and wrote a card. But I wrote it as if I was Perry talking to Mrs. Patterson from Kevin and Perry. Because <laughs> I got to have a bit of that. I was like, dear Mrs. Hasm, I'm very sorry that I, mm, I shot your neighbour. I promised to... And I wrote this thing out. Anyway, thought nothing more of it. Luckily, a bloke didn't sell the story in the Daily Mail. Played the game on the weekend, won. But apparently, my mate's mum still has his card. And when dinner party guests come round, she goes, well, won't believe what we've got here. Opens this card with this terrible handwriting on it when I shot someone with a BB gun. So that's in there as well. Just another, another bright idea I had that went horrifically wrong. And she also says to you, you play for England. You play for England. <laughs> and I was like, I do, I do. You certainly haven't chosen a quiet life, have you, James? You have done things that have got you in the papers, have got you into trouble. But I think it's fair to say you've had a lot of fun along the way. Yes, I think, um, look, again, I'm, I'm very much like Mama. I'm completely across it. Um, I think that I've, this, this next book that I've written is, is, is actually much more of a kind of, well, not philosophical, but kind of a, a lot of what people took from What a Flank and Ruck Me was kind of attitude stuff, stuff related to success and failure and dealing with um, social media and dealing with the pitfalls and confidence and mental health and everything else. And I truly believe... You know, this, this might upset a few people, but, you know, you, you, you're born 
and then you die. And then, you know, we're here to, to procreate. Yes, we've created amazing things to fill our time. And, you know, I believe that your body and your mind are such beautiful things that need to be maximized to, to the full. You know, if you, and I also believe that, you know, they're the only things you can control, really. How you treat your body, how you treat your mind, how you treat other people and how hard you work are the only things you can control in life. So when everything else is falling around, apart around you, those are the things you can control. And, you know, you need to make the most of your life because if we notice with COVID and everything else that's happening in the world, you never know when that, that time's going to come. And as that Baz Luhrmann's song um, says, you know, it's going to be on a Tuesday afternoon at four o'clock. There's something blindsides you. And everything I've done in my life has been always about maximizing it to the full. So if I was to, you know, I mean, knowing about these dodgy sound guys, if I was to get electrocuted by this microphone, and unfortunately passed away at Carfest North. I could honestly say that I've had a good go at it. I've, try, I've tried to live around the world. I've tried to start businesses. I've tried to play my, my, the best I can. I tried to develop my mind all the time. I tried to develop my body. I tried to treat people nicely. And I tried to work hard. And I tried to have as much fun as I possibly can. So, you know, you can honestly say that you've maximized everything. Because if you don't look after your body, when that's gone, so if you abuse it, you, you know, you have an eating disorder, you get too big, you, you, you know, abuse your knees, you do stupid things. When it's broken, as of yet, we've got no way of putting it all back together because you still have problems. You know, if you don't develop your mind, you sit there on your phone all the time, you don't challenge yourself, you know, and you, and you wonder why your mental health will be affected. All these things come to play. And I think, for me, that is what life is all about. It's literally trying to have as much fun, to work as hard as you can, and to make, and be on a, a path of self-discovery and make, make sure that today, you were slightly better than yesterday, only even if it's just 1%. And that, for me, is the most important thing. And I can honestly say that's why I've had all these adventures. Because a lot of times people go, do you want to do this? I'm like, yeah. Do you want to go here and play there? I'm like, yeah, I do. Because why not? And sometimes you get it wrong. Sometimes it's not the right thing to do. But wow, I've got stories for days, you know, and I've had a hell of a laugh doing it. You can absolutely tell in this book and in Waterflanker. But arguably your biggest challenge is coming next. You are literally about to become a dad for the first time, which is amazing news. Congratulations. It works. Who knew? <laughs> or maybe it doesn't. Maybe that'll be a surprise. Imagine that. Oh! Oh, yeah, but I've already got a plan for that. One-way ticket straight to Ibiza. Every cloud. That's where the DJ career comes in. Yeah. Um, how does it feel knowing you, you're about to be in charge of a really tiny human? Um, look, I'm, I'm very excited about it. I think, um, I'll be honest with you again, I've, I've spoken about this openly, and I actually, <laughs> I actually said it once on Loose Women. I imagine how, yeah, oh, exactly, you know, right. I didn't really read the audience that day. Because all they ever ask you about, when you're in, when you're in the public eye, albeit a Z-list celebrity, you, the question every journalist always asks if you've got a partner, when are you getting married? Just get married. Are you going to have kids? And actually, I think it's quite an offensive question. I don't, I don't think you should be asked that. Everyone always wants to ask it. What if you don't want kids? What if you don't want kids? What if you can't have kids? All they want to know is the, the, the people want to know. No, they don't. You want to know because you want to sensationalise it. And, um... And so people used to ask me, and they asked me, do you want to have kids? And I was like, no, I'd rather have a Ferrari. <laughs> and they all went, ooh. Like, you thought that woman didn't take a breath. The whole place went, <sighs> There was a lot of, like, you know, sort of tight mouths in that, in that place. Um, and I said, no, it's true. I said, I'd have a Ferrari. I'd, I'd never thought about kind of um, wanting to have kids or wanting to do that. I was always about kind of that journey of self-discovery, about being quite selfish, about, listen, going, I want to achieve this, I want to write this, I want to play for them, I want to DJ here, I want to make this music, I want to do whatever it is. Um, and then Chloe and I talked about it, and I think she's been an amazing mum. And I think that ultimately the, the, the meaning of, of life is you can dress it all up as you're meant, to, you're meant to kind of procreate. And I think that I am unbelievably excited about being a dad of a little girl because I really didn't want to have... Oh, okay, let me rephrase this. You're lucky to have whatever you get, and if you're lucky to have one, that is amazing. As long as they're healthy, that is priority number one. 
if you'd asked me what I wanted before I'd ever started, when I was younger, I was like, I want a boy, I want a boy. But actually, I want a girl. I'll tell you why, because I do not need any more testosterone around in my life, right? <laughs> I do not need a little boy looking at me and going, right, Dad, I want to be like that. I want something sweet. I want to watch Frozen with her. I want to watch, you know, I want it to be cute. And I tell you, I once saw Simon Shaw, Simon Shaw, six foot nine, professional rugby player, 135 kgs. And he was walking on the corridor and he had a little daughter. She could only hold onto one of his fingers like that, right? She's holding like that. And, uh, and I was walking behind her. I was, like, I was like 18 at the time, not really, you know, caring about what was going on. And she went, Daddy. And he went, yeah. I love you. Right in front of me, and I was like, <laughs> I was like, oh my god! And I just think, I just think for me, I think for me that's it's going to be a fun adventure. I think everybody says it's very hard, it's very challenging. I think you have to throw yourself into it. I think it's going to change you in ways that you didn't imagine. I think that it, um, it is what you want to get out, what what you want to want to make of it. But I think it is a very profound thing. And I think one piece of advice that everybody gives you is don't listen to anyone's advice. You've got to make your own way up. But I've I've, I've sat through. Six hours of hypnobirthing, 10 hours of, of um, antenatal. I've been forced to read books on it. I've, I'm across all of it. I've had to listen. I've got quite a good, good memory for details. But I can tell you what, as soon as she goes into labour, all of the stuff goes out the window. She, her plan, the only plan we have is to make sure that the daughter's safe. There isn't any of this sort of pressure. I think people, especially women, put a load of pressure on each other to do all this stuff. We're just very relaxed. And all I want to try to be is the, is the best dad. And I think the one thing people always say about parenting is not, I wish I'd bought them more. I wish I'd, you know, done this is I spent as much time as I can with them. And that's all I want to, I want to do. And if she's a bit sweet and she sort of teaches me a few things or two, because again, I've, I've always been surrounded by men my entire life. You know, I would say that all boys boarding school to all boys professional rugby. Am I the most rounded human being? Potentially not. I didn't even go to university. You know, like even public school boys, they go to university, like, oh my God, this is how people live, isn't it? There's a foreigner over there. Do you know what I mean? I didn't have any of that. You know, you have fri fri friends who are girls. I did. Uh, that's the car. That's my taxi to get me out of here. <laughs> In case it went badly. Um, no, and I think for me, it's going to be very exciting. I want to say the one thing that got me the other day is I put a car seat in my car for the first time. And I just stopped. I was like, oh, crap. This is going to be such a place for like crisps and dirty fingers and sticky fingers. And she'll be sick on it. I'm like, oh! That, and, I, and I just know you can't, you can't legislate for that. And I just know that at one point I'm just going to look at everything nice that I had. And it's going to have fingerprints on it, drool on it, sick on it. And I'm going to lift stuff and there'll be crisps down there. They won't say anything. And I'm just like, damn. So I want to make so much money that I can have my own zone, like the west wing of a tower. It's going to say no, girl, <laughs> no girls at all. Chloe, you're not allowed in. Daughter, not allowed in. I can guarantee you that will not happen. <laughs> I know. <laughs> And also, I'm going to be a big softie. Like, you know, they, I think talking to lots of people about this stuff, I think there's a bit of pressure on men that when, they, when your child's born, there is this perception because of Disney and everything else and the movies you watch that you're going to just be like, wow, I know what the meaning of life is now. But it takes a while to bond. They're screaming, puking, nightmarish thing that doesn't really give you any interaction apart from wants to be with her mother. You know, if, you, if you're lucky enough to be able to breastfeed, all the stuff that goes with it. And so there's this kind of pressure, but I, I sort of, I didn't know what to expect. I still don't know what to expect. But I can tell you that as soon as I saw her heartbeat on the, the thing, on the monitor, I was like, I almost cried. I was like, oh, my God. I love something that I didn't even know. I haven't even met yet. I mean, she could be an absolute nightmare. But, um, she'll be your nightmare. That's what I mean. And if she's like me, she'll just be a carbon copy of me. And that's the thing. Is I'm going, oh, my God. Look at those character traits. And my wife's going to go, yeah, they're all of yours. So I think, I, I, look, I think I'm going to be a massive softie. I already love her more than anything. But I would say that... What I've learned is there's so much that people tell you and there's so much the media rams down your throat. That's my wife calling. Is it? 
there's so much stuff that media rammed down your throat, the expectation, but I think it takes time to bond. I think mothers find it hard to adjust sometimes. Um, and even just talking to some parents, you know, like, you give birth and they dump this baby on you. You've just gone through this traumatic experience. And then they go and you're like, oh my God, can we have a minute? Like, can I have a minute? So I gather myself. And dad's sort of looking at this thing and this thing just wants mummy. But I think when they start smiling and interacting and giving you that kind of stuff. But again, it could be... It could be instantaneous. I don't know. I've just got. i got good self-awareness. I'm not like naively going into it going, it's going to be the greatest thing I've ever done. You know, I sort of have a bit of kind of an idea that it's probably going to be utter carnage and like sleep. And I'll be looking at it going, I wonder if I can sell you. Well, James, reading this book, Ruck Me, you do everything with every bit of you and you do it to the best of your ability. So no doubt when it comes to being a dad, you will do that. So we wish you all the luck. Um, congratulations on your second book. We look forward to your third book. Remind us what the title is. It's called uh, Approach Without Caution. But again, anyone read What a Flanker in here? Anyone read Ruck Me? God, you all need to get out and buy these books now. <laughs> How dare you? Honestly, if you think I'm funny in real life, I mean funnier in, uh, in the written word. Um, or if you didn't think I was funny, I'm actually funnier in the book. Uh, I need the cash. I'm about to have a kid. So get out there. <laughs> <laughs> Seal the doors and I'll start filling you all in unless you buy it. I'm actually doing a book signing next door, aren't I? Uh, yes, you are. I am. We both knew that. So we can absolutely meet and greet. But don't turn up and go, I don't want to buy your book, but I'd like to have a selfie. Because then I will go, no. Show me the fibre of your fabric if you want a chance to meet and chat with me. James Haskell, everybody. Thank you so much. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. James Haskell in conversation with Sophia Franklin recorded live at last year's CarFest. If you want to be at this year's CarFest, once again, go to carfest.org to come join us this August bank holiday weekend. All right, thanks so much for listening. Bye-bye.